So our first reading will be from Luke 18, 18 to 30. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I've kept from my, my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he is extremely rich. Jesus said that he, that he had become sad, because, had become sad. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, "How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than the rich person to enter the kingdom of God." Those who heard it said then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, seeing we have left our homes and, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many things more in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. The next reading is from nine, it's chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Next page over. Chapter 19, verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they, were all, grum they all grumbled. He has gone in to, the, to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, Salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Our gracious, loving Heavenly Father, we give you thanks again for this story, and we give you thanks for Jesus. We thank you so much uh, that he is who he is, and that we have in, these, in your Bible, in your word, uh, these stories that help us see how he engages with people. So we pray, Father, for your Spirit's help this morning to uh, put ourselves in the shoes of Zacchaeus, 
to see your son through his eyes and to be overwhelmed as he has been at the end. And we pray especially that you help us to respond to the great news of your son with joy. For we pray this in, in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. My name is Zacchaeus. That's Zach with two C's. I was born into a wealthy family, educated under the finest teachers, but I've also worked hard to build my own wealth. I was also born a Jew, but my family wasn't very religious, or at least my father wasn't. I always like to say, pray all you want, but there's nothing like a big bag of gold coins to catch you when you fall. Money isn't a great God, but it is a useful servant, and I am served very, very well. I've never been much liked in my life. When you're my height, you, don't need, you, you, you need to look up to everyone, and everyone expects you to look up to them. What rubbish. You have to earn respect. You can't just demand it. And nobody I've ever met has earned it. They treat me in such little ways because I'm so short. I don't need their approval. In fact, I, I love my life. I love that everyone now has to look up to me. My job commands respect. You see, you may have heard that I'm a tax collector, but you're wrong. I'm no ordinary scum spat on by people. I'm the chief tax collector of my province. The whole of Jericho and surrounding regions is my jurisdiction. All taxes collected go through me, and it's my job to make sure that Rome gets what she wants, and I have a bunch of tax collectors under me making sure that they get it. So who cares if I have to take a bit off the top? Who cares if I have to twist an arm or two, figuratively speaking, of course, to get the job done? I love it. But I know that my fellow Jews hate me. They think of me as unclean because I mix with Roman Gentiles so often. They think of me as a traitor because I'm collecting taxes from them to pay Rome. But you know what? Gold and silver do not discriminate against any race or religion. Gold and silver do not hate you because of who you mix with. But gold and silver cannot love you. Sure, it can buy you lots of nice things, but I'll let you in on a little secret. Behind the trinkets and the drunken and blurred eyesight you get from riches, there are moments of clarity, moments when things become clear. And in those moments you realize that wealth can only get you so far. I said before that my dad wasn't very religious, but my mother was. And in these moments of clarity, my mother's words keep ringing in my ears. A life spent chasing wealth is vanity. Solomon's words. The greatest and wealthiest king our nation has ever had, he knew that chasing wealth was havel, vanity, like trying to chase after and catch the wind. He describes it as havel, how I hate that word, and yet it rings so true. No amount of wealth I have amassed has been able to fill this void in my heart. It was, it's as though I have a cup that I've been trying so hard to fill with wealth and possessions, but the, the cup never gets filled, it never gets satisfied. It yearns to be filled, but money cannot do it. I wish there was something more. What could it be? 
Well, my, my mother also taught me a few other religious things as well. And as much as I deny it, some of it I do remember. And in particular, I remember her teaching me about this coming Messiah, someone who would come and save us, save us from our sins, save us, save us from our heartache, make us clean forever again. Now, I'd like to blow this off as some religious mumbo-jumbo, but there's something to that. Something about this Messiah that would give a young boy hope. And even though this young boy is now all grown up, that hope lingers. I know I'm a sinner and I know that I fall far short of God's perfection. If only this Messiah would come to help. Maybe he has actually come. Three incidences recently have made me pause, made me wonder if he really is here. First, there's my friend Levi. Tax collectors are collectively hated, I get that. Uh, So when everyone hates you and you have few friends, you have to form a small community of outcasts, and that's where Levi and I found ourselves. Now, Levi, he's he's a good tax collector. He can be a touch ruthless, but he did his job well. And he was actually on track to become chief tax collector himself, but then one day he gave it all up. Some rabbi called Jesus just asked him to follow And then Levi quit, then and there. And Levi might not be popular, but he's no fool. So what is this, what is it about this Jesus that makes him worth worth dropping everything to follow? I've heard since that Jesus is some sort of a healer, teacher. It's hard to know what's real or not, to, to separate the fact from the fiction, but he's gaining a serious reputation he, he does sound more than a teacher. Maybe he's a prophet. Uh, the second incident was with Mikhail. Now, if you think I'm wealthy, you've never met Mikhail. Mikhail has wealth to spare. He's one of the leaders near Jericho, very influential and, and young to boot. He, he's well-respected not only as a leader and a businessman, but also for his piety. He's pretty religious, but not in a, an offensive way, but, you know, he's pretty devout. And so I heard that Mikael had a chance to meet with Jesus, a, a devout man, meeting a devout rabbi. It's everything he could have wanted. But he walked away from that meeting devastated. What happened? See, he had asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, for a truly devout man, the answer to that question is everything. But the answer that Jesus gave him was perplexing, confusing. It just didn't make sense. First, he said, keep all the commands. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. I know Mikael well enough to know that I have no doubt. So he's kept all of these laws. So would keeping all of these rules be enough? Apparently not. Jesus then asked something of Mikael that felt impossible. He said, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Yeah, it's as if Jesus had reached into Mikael's chest and ripped out his heart. See, Mikael, he's religious for sure, but Jesus, he's just pointed out his true God, his wealth. Following Jesus is going to be costly. 
And for people with money, people like me, how, how, is this, how is that even going to be possible? It feels like it would be easier for a massive camel to be pushed and squeezed through the tiny eye of a sewing needle than it would be for a rich person to be saved. It, it's impossible. And yet there's still something about Jesus that intrigues me. Earlier this morning, I heard a third incident that has me scratching my head. There's this blind beggar near the entrance to Jericho. He's well known, although admittedly I don't know his name. Every day I would pass him, pathetically calling out for charity. Well, now he doesn't need to beg at all. His blindness, gone. He met Jesus and it was gone. And then I hear Jesus starting to come into the city. I feel my heart beat faster. It's like it's going to explode. I need to see who this man is, to hear him speak, to find out what all the fuss is about. And so when I heard the noise of a large crowd gathering, I had to follow. But the crowd was too thick and, well, I'm too short. I tried to climb some crates, but their owners weren't too happy, so I run up ahead. There's this one main path up the road, and I know there's a big sycamore tree that's easy to climb, and so up I went. It's an easy climb, but a very nervous wait. Why didn't I go to the toilet before? I could hear the crowd getting louder, people shouting Jesus' name, wanting his attention. I, I, I peel back some of the branches just to try and get a look. And there he is, walking just underneath. And then he stopped and looked up. I could have fallen out of the tree at that moment when he said to me, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down for I must stay at your house today. How did he know my name? How did he know where I lived? Must stay? Was he planning to come to my house all along? How? But before I could even ask a question, I felt my legs and my arms moving, climbing, moving and climbing down faster than I've ever before. And then he smiles at me. The most warm and wonderful and comforting brotherly smile. And he places his hands on my shoulder. And it's hard to describe, but I instantly feel as though everything in my life is going to be okay because Jesus is now here. Now, I might be short, but I'm not deaf and blind. I can see people aren't happy. I can hear the whispers and the grumbles. I can, how can Jesus receive the hospitality of a sinner like him? I, I get it. I totally understand. I wasn't expecting this either. And yet here I was. And here is Jesus. And I cannot believe I get to dine with him. Hear him speak. Tell me about his kingdom and what it is like. I thought I had wealth, but Jesus offers so much more if I follow him. And he offers what gold and silver cannot buy. He offers a new life, forgiveness of my sins. He offers to wash me clean so that I will be accepted by God himself. He offers a true joy. I wanted the emptiness of my cup to be filled. And Jesus pours and pours until it constantly overflows. Jesus really is the Messiah. He really is going to save us. 
and he's worth giving up everything I have to follow. I can see Levi standing over there and he smiles knowingly. I get it as well. I get what Mikael didn't, that Jesus is a treasure worth giving up everything I have to obtain him. He's like the finest pearl that men desire. And upon finding it, they joyfully give up everything they have to go and get it. And so in the middle of our dinner, I stand and I'm bursting to let this out. And I say, behold, Jesus, my Lord and King, I'm ready and willing to give up half of my wealth to the poor. And I know that I have defrauded some, some of you even here today. And I promise to repay you double what is normal. I promise to pay you four times what I have taken. Give away all that I have? My heart sings for joy at the thought. Just hearing Jesus and knowing his teaching makes it worth it. I I didn't expect anything, but then Jesus himself spoke in response. Today, salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. What I have yearned to hear for so long, that I am accepted by God, the peace and joy of knowing God. I know it's not because I have earned this, and Jesus isn't saying this because I've promised to give away my money. He's saying this because he knows I trust him. He knows that my faith is in him and him alone. Just like how Abraham trusted God's word and was made right before him, faith in Jesus is what saves. Levi told me that when Mikael turned away from Jesus disappointed, he and the rest of the disciples, they all asked Jesus, then who could be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Well, here I am, proving that it's possible for God to save a rich man. And then he says these final words. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And now everything makes sense. You see, I thought I was searching for Jesus, but he was actually searching for me. I once was lost in darkest night, thinking my money-making was the way out. But this void in my life and this meeting with Jesus, they make it clear that path led to death. And what hope would I have that he would receive and accept someone like me, someone who has rebelled against him all my life? And so as I went along this death-bound path, Jesus looked on me with mercy and grace. I thought I was looking for Jesus, but he was looking for me. I understand now that it's grace alone that saves. I couldn't tell you with precise words exactly what this means to me. There are not enough words. I met Jesus for an evening, but I think I could spend the next 10,000 years trying to find the words to express my joy and would still have not enough time to say it all. My desires in life are now revolutionized. My heart is so full. I want nothing more than to follow Jesus all the days of my life, to know more about him, to encourage others to hear about him, to hate my old ways and repent of them. 
I know now that this life I live is not my own. It belongs to Jesus. I live to worship him. He is the king and he has the right to rule my life. And mine is the joy to live for him. When the Son of Man seeks and saves the impossibly lost, someone like me, how could they not respond with joy, with repentance and generosity? What is impossible with man is possible with God. Praise Jesus for that.